Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we are joined by the fantastic director Abe Forsyth and his film Little Monsters, which is out now, uh, joining me as my co-host today and proceeds to do the fantastic interview with Abe, I can't wait for you lot to hear that, is Robbie McCain, my producer, editor, all-round fantastic filmmaker. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Hello, Giles. How's it going? Not bad at all. Thanks, Robbie. This uh, is a podcast you recorded while I was away on nights of Camelot duty on, on my your quest. Arthur and Merlin project. On my quest yeah. <laughs> to save the night. Your epic quest, yeah. <laughs> it was indeed. It was indeed. So tell us about the podcast with Abe. What can we learn? Abe, Abe is a lovely, lovely guest. I really enjoyed interviewing him. Um, and I highly recommend you check out his other films as well as Little Monsters, which is out now. I believe it's still showing in some cinemas, if you can find it. It was released on the 15th, but it was also released day and date, so you can watch it digitally on demand if you want to as well. We talked about humour, using broad humour, but then using humour for satire. We talk about his casting process. We talk about going you know seeking inspiration from film festivals um we talk about how to uh do black comedy in the age where our kind of uh real life can seem <laughs> a little bit crazy as well so yeah we talk about all sorts of things brilliant a great i chat. can't wait for people to listen to this i think it's fantastic abe sounds like an ace guy and you two sound, sound like you have a, had a lot of fun as well chatting through uh this film mm. and you got to go see little monsters uh, on a special screening as well isn't that correct i did yeah it really makes a big difference on the big screen um if you're a fan of the kind of classic romero zombie films like dawn of the dead day of the dead um you'll definitely get a kick out of it if you're a fan of things like Shaun of the dead which sort of subvert that kind of imagery with comedy um you'll like that as well but also if you just like a nice sort of um family uh, coming of age learning responsibility type drama you'll also like it as well so it's got a lot of you know it's got a big audience appeal i'd say um, amazing yeah. amazing um, well we should give a shout out to our sponsor this week Shotlister and how you can get a free copy uh, myself and mm. a special guest will be joining us halfway through obviously oh, if you who, listen who to this could podcast it possibly regularly. be you might know who it is Robbie I think you know who it is um, that'll be halfway <laughs> through and we'll tell you how you can get your hands on a free copy of shotlister app which i highly highly recommend also this week raindance are back and they're giving you 20 percent off their short film masterclass with ali masayaki um normally that's quite a lot of money and you get 20 percent off so it's totally worth it you can learn mm. how to get your short film financed produced into festivals and sold and that is on um saturday the 30th of november so that is this saturday it's soon. It's literally now. So if you want that 20% off, you can get the code, uh, which is short film. Just type that in as you're paying and you can get 20% off from the Filmmakers Podcast because we're lovely and Rain Dance are lovely and why not? Um, Love a good and I want to give some shout outs as well, Robbie, um, this mm. week to the fantastic The James Hughes, John Cowdell, Grey Hill Films, Sarah Thomas, Eric Garson, uh, Darren Hosh, Martin Neely, Diane Knight, Kelly Juvelee and Adam Jenkins, whose Game Over Short um, won uh, at the Performance um, Insurance Short Film Festival, which I attended the other day with Dom Lemoire. Amazing. And we talked to him about the Make Your Film event, which is on December the 10th. If you've not got your tickets yet, it's going to be a brilliant event. Sixth one. Can you believe it, Robbie? Yeah. The Christmas special as well. So are you and Dom going to be dressing up as uh, Santas or small kind of yeah. elves of some kind? I think, I think Dom's more of an elf. And I'm more of the, a reindeer. You're the more of so. the centre. You're a reindeer. Okay, that's a bit rogue. All right. Um, so that's we've already got Deborah Haywood coming along as one of the guests, and we've got Stuart Brennan as well. Link to all those things are in the show notes. Um, we should get to today's podcast, shouldn't we? I do have some news though. First, um, all right. On... <laughs> oh yeah, you do have some news, Giles. I do. Yes, thank. Tell Robbie, us what about was that? the. Uh... <laughs> 
tell us about the dare it's only getting its release soon right the dare does have a release date uh in the u.s this is my debut horror film the dare uh i probably never mentioned it on the podcast ever um the dare the dare the dare my movie finally i set up this podcast to talk about the dare and help you lot make films and finally it is coming out next year. We have a release date of March the 3rd. I'm pretty sure that's everywhere across the world, but it is certainly US at the moment. Um, details are coming in about the UK release as well. It's probably around the same time, and I do know who's distributing it, but I can't tell you <laughs> yet. Oh, <laughs> I will tease. Though. I know, such a tease. But do you know what, Robbie? I'm just super excited. It's actually getting out there uh, and finally people can see it. It's been a long journey and gosh, my team have been, been so amazing. Yeah. yeah. We actually recorded the commentary for the Blu-ray DVD the other day. I'm doing behind the scenes at the moment. I've got a whole documentary pretty much on Fantastic. that. And that's been fascinating watching back how I was three years ago on what was going through my brain i might drop the trailer into the show notes so do have a look at that and i think i might push it out this week on socials as well uh and robbie what what was that you you were gonna sorry what was that you asked me did did you just ask me Uh, i asked you um (laughs) this wasn't set up at all king arthur no way well done right (laughs) oh thanks for asking robbie yes um myself and ollie parker the editor are jumping back in next week on that so now having a little break i'm super excited for that um yes looking good anything looking good Uh, and Mm. robbie didn't you have something else you just asked me did i have something else yeah oh food for thought (gasps) you did a big announcement didn't you Yes, we did an update, myself and Dan Richardson. Uh, hasn't been on the pod for a while, but we'll be back soon. Um, we so. missed out. Yeah, we've been editing and getting it ready. This is our vegan documentary. And uh, yeah, we raised a decent amount on Crowdfunder. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. So hopefully that will be ready the beginning of next year for us to then move deep into getting it even better and seeing what we've missed Mm -hmm. and what else we need to shoot but it's nice that me and dan connected again properly and really sat down and and went through it all so yeah super super fantastic news food for thought documentary coming your way and do subscribe to us um do follow us on the twitter at filmmakers pod and if you like this do pass this on to your pals that's how we grow that's how we get bigger it's hard enough yeah, for me and to keep promoting this so do your best um subscribe give us five star review on itunes if you can and if you are listening to this on stitcher or soundcloud do jump over to itunes and just do subscribe it means the world to us uh it makes a big difference because those numbers from soundcloud and stitcher do not pass across to us and hey if you want to be on the podcast if you made a feature film get in touch um we'd love to hear from you uh if we've inspired you in any way and you've gone out and made a film we'd love to hear from you make it happen uh, and finally the heartless uh, more things to talk about it's too many now um <laughs> uh, we're doing the showcase on the 5th of december we have spent all week at mv post shout out to mv post uh making it look amazing and sound amazing and this is the teaser for the heartless tv series and yeah super exciting i am really excited to show that it's cool it's very cool right get to today's episode uh robbie sits down with the fantastic abe forsyth enjoy and go out there and make your film be inspired enjoy enjoy listeners i'm delighted to be joined here by abe forsyth director of little monsters ned and down under how are you doing good good <laughs> ned ned doesn't get mentioned very often which is not necessarily a bad thing but well, so it's, it's your first feature it is it was 16 when i wrote it 18 when i shot it yeah, yeah i think I, it was a bad experience and you're in it starring as i'm ned starring Kelly. in it that was a mistake um <laughs> uh, but it but it yeah it was i'm glad i'm glad i'm still glad i made it i'm glad no one can see it um but but it was it taught it taught me a lot which then you know i actually didn't feel like i was ready until i was in my 30s so yeah. I could actually make films. But in some ways, everyone has a film like that. And it's, yeah. it's, you need to do that to kind of get going. Oh, no, completely. And you need to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. So that's the most important lesson that I've, I've learned, you know, over the course of making things. And I made a ton of things that never saw the light of day, short films, I wrote lots of scripts. But you learn, I personally feel like you learn more from your mistakes than you do from the ones that are successful. Mm. So because the mistakes at least tell you what you, something gets sort of, put into your uh, subconscious where you go, okay, 
I'm not going to make that. I'm not going to make that mistake again. But you can just spot you can spot them a lot sooner than as opposed to just suddenly being surprised by them. So you can cut them off. You can cut off certain things well in advance, so it doesn't turn into a bigger problem mm. down the line. Yeah, it's very much like I don't know if you've seen Edgar Wright's first film, A Fistful of Fingers. I have seen. I, have, I haven't <laughs> seen all of it, but I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, I haven't seen Ned, but um, I imagine it's sort of that. Um. Yeah, it's Ned's. Ned's. Um, Ned's a. It's a comedy. It's a western. It's about Ned. Kelly, the Australian mm, legend, national um, hero. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's that was a, the one thing you can say the movie does make a commentary on is why we for a movie that basically has no other like doesn't make any other points um, is is the, that Australian thing that we do where we hold up criminals as as heroes. <laughs> um, so it it made Ned not this um, scary sort of bush ranger. Uh, it turned him into a this adolescent child that was into magic and wanted to be a magician <laughs> and had a, a pet pony called Muffy and he wanted to tour Australia and perform his magic act and then he finds himself caught up with these bush rangers mm. but because as part of his magic act he wears this he- this helmet as like a costume that's the thing that gives him the iconic status which is in you know in a very different way is what gave the real Ned Kelly his iconic status was the the, the helmet. But he was just a murdering cattle thief. So it was it was in a very, um, un, you know, not, not the best realisation of the point, a commentary on, on that very Australian thing. It's clear, like, from the outset with your work, um, humour is really key. And you like using that to, you know, get a reaction from an audience yep. and weaving that in with other genres and stuff. Has that, like, always been a thing for you from, you know, your very first projects starting out? Yeah, Humor definitely. It's definitely though evolved over time. Um, certainly, it was much more like Ned initially, where it was just trying to make jokes. And at the time, look, I was raised on Monty Python and <laughs> um, uh, South Park as well. Too was a big influence on that movie. Um, and there's the Zucker Brothers too. You know, that, of course, that, yeah. So those are the movies that I. Um, really spent a long time in my adolescence watching like alone by myself in my room um and so that directly influenced ned and ned actually ended up becoming like that it's got a very hardcore cult sort of very small hardcore cult following that discovered it in their teenage years and like you know watched watched it sort of religiously alone in their bedrooms as well um but i think the humor evolved over the years as a way of making social commentary or, or finding ways of making a point using the jokes to make a point about something. Mm. And then the brilliance of humour too, where I'm really interested in tone switching from one gear to another. Um, and my film Before Little Monsters was very much that. It was based on a race riot in Australia, a really yeah. horrific race riot that happened in 2007. So quite a bold kind of uh, choice for, yeah. for a second feature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And look, it's it was quite polarising. In Australia, very polarising, mm. um, as we expected it would be. But it was also before that I made like about three or four short films, which had done a used humour as a way of making a satirical point um, mm-hmm. to some very Australian things, um, and they were successful in this uh, film festival, short film festival called Tropfest, which is a it's the world's biggest short film festival um, every year in Australia. It's been going since the mid nineties. Uh, they and it's changed a little bit as as time has progressed, you know, with the advent of sort of digital and everything. But um, uh, they, the, when I was in the festival, you'd have 150,000 people in this this beautiful park in Sydney come and watch these short films. So there's like top 16 films out of like a 1,000 films entered that get played on the night and you win prizes and et cetera. It wasn't really, you know, I wasn't entering it for the prizes, but I was entering it to try and just have an audience watch something. And then the the what it takes to distill an idea into a short film that should be seven minutes long is, is part of the, and they had to include an item every year. Every film had to have this item somewhere or another, but I took the approach of going, okay, try and make a point, but also try and do it in way less than seven minutes. I wanted to try and do it in like two or three minutes. So that was the, that was really good thing for teaching me how to be the economy of storytelling. Um, Mm. And so I'd done, I'd done a number of those then that then led me to go, oh, okay, I think there's something about using humor to make a point about some ugly stuff and some, and make people, when you make people laugh at something that it maybe is something that you shouldn't be laughing at, like what that can do and what that can say about the subject matter by taking that approach versus doing a drama. So mm. that's what the, the down under the, 
Cronulla Riots movie was they took that approach. Um, it's a very kind of because um, you're mixing you're mixing dangerous chemicals there almost. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a re- not many people um, would choose to work in that genre. Oh, that's uh, fun though because it it it. You have to question everything that you're doing. You question with whatever you're doing. You question every choice. You're an idiot not to. But particularly if you're starting to deal with real issues, you need to be 100% sure of every single choice that you make. Um, and when you are 100% sure of them and then they end up in the movie, there's always going to be people that are going to criticize you and say you're not able, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't be allowed to do that. But if you can back up everything with, well, no, I can. And this is why. This is what this says. Maybe you're just outraged because you're outraged for the sake of being outraged, which I understand, but I can stand behind this and everyone that's working on this can stand behind it equally with me. So it's a really good way of really forcing you to make, um, consider every single choice and particularly on that film for me too, because it was dealing with, you know, half the cast were were Middle Eastern. Um, So I was dealing with a lot of cultural stuff that I had no direct experience of, but I was very adamant of casting in the, those Middle Eastern roles, people that were portraying their own culture. Um, so they were able to teach me uh, and we had advisors as well, but um, it was really important that they took ownership. They were able to take ownership on what we were all doing um, because culturally that's what, what they were doing as well too. Um, and, you know, the ultimate irony being we didn't have significant blowback from the Middle Eastern community. We had blowback from this very particular Anglo uh, community, which which objected to the movie being made, and you know, the worst thing you can do to a, a, a large section of the Australian population is accuse them of being racist. Um, we're we're one of the most racist countries in the world, which is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> Closely behind the UK. <laughs> yeah, well, but look, we've all got we've all we were all dealing with it in different ways. Mm. Um, but that that why I made that movie too was I felt like. That riot that we had, it was literally a riot on the beach Um, in 2007. It was a very Australian thing to just not deal with it. We just pretended that it didn't happen. I was like, are we fucking kidding? I was like, when I was, it was 2010 and I found out I was going to be a dad. And it really made me go, shit, what kind of country am I bringing my son into where something like this can happen? And we all just make believe that it it didn't happen. But it's getting, it's going to, because I was like, it's going to happen again. So I wrote the first draft in 2010. We released it in 2016. And then by the time he released it in Australia, that was the when Donald Trump was coming into power. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Like, it, it, I was right in that it is going to happen. It, it, it is happening again. We had a uh, an ultra right-wing politician called Pauline Hanson that came into power again around that same time too. And and it was it – was, there's, a, there's a whole um, – just – so I'm digressing, but there's there's a there's this point in the movie where these characters, these Anglo Australian characters, are having this trying to work out a way of how do you keep the Middle Eastern people out of their suburb of Cronulla, and it's just this two hander. These characters sitting on a bonnet of a car, waiting for people to arrive, and one of them has the idea like, oh, we could build a wall. We could build a wall around Cronulla, the Shire, where they lived. Um, and you know that would keep all of the all of the Middle Eastern people out. And then this other character who's stoned at the time breaks down why that could never work from a logistics point of view, from council stuff and all these sorts of things. So that was written in 2010 um, as me deliberately going, what, what's the stupidest thing I can think of to deal with this kind of problem? What is someone if someone lived there, what would they think is the the best way to deal with this? And then when we did the the um, premiere in the Sydney Film Festival in 2016, the week before the premiere, Donald Trump had said, build a wall, we're going to build a wall. So it was a real, it was one of those really just bizarre moments where, um, and everyone, of course, recognized it was 2000 people watching the movie. It was an amazing moment of everyone just kind of having a shared sort of experience of like, what the fuck is happening mm. again? <laughs> like, um, but a really, you know, just a uh, interesting moment and why I'm more interested in trying to make things that kind of reflect either where we've been or where we're going. So that's Down Under and yeah, highly recommend people checking that out. If you, if you like to be challenged by your films, if you like uh, films like, you know, Chris Morris, he's just released a new film of the the day to day and uh, and four lines. Um, And it's very much. And I think, I mean, the fact you made that um, at the time, all this stuff was happening is, you know, probably shows quite a sort of prescient um, thing. Or I don't know whether that was timing or whether you kind of, could see sort of the the trend of what think way things were going. Yeah, I mean, I think personally in Australia, I could just sense that it was going to happen again, mm. and I wasn't expecting it was going to happen again 
on the world stage the way it has been happening. But, you know, that's a very bleak film. It ends in a very it, – it, it's a comedy. It's meant to be provocative. It was meant to – when people hear about that movie very much on purpose, it was meant to be like, oh, it, it's a comedy about the Cronulla riots and people will go, a comedy. And it'd be like, yeah, yeah. But then they go into it knowing it's a comedy. But then the first, the opening of the movie actually is a, a dose of like we use real footage from the riots mm. and smack people in the face and go, yeah, you thought you were seeing comedy, but have a look at this. This is what really happened. So you mm. kind of beat people up like in the first two minutes. So you don't pull your punches. Oh, God, no, no. It was, really <laughs> it was really important because it was like I needed people to know that this is actually serious straight away. If they had a preconceived notion of what it was, I wanted to actually remind people that there's there's real world consequences. You know that, that mm. these the actions of these these real life people um, uh, and this behaviour has. Then the movie starts to kind of lull you into a comedy and gets you laughing and gets you laughing at characters whose behaviour is not the best sort of behaviour. Um, and then at the end of the movie, it swings around and just reminds you of like, going, no, 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 this, you shouldn't be laughing at this. So it tried to make you laugh and then it tried to, and then it punished you for laughing. That was, that was the, <laughs> that was the point. So it was like, um, uh, so it was a really, and I'm really happy and really proud of, of that movie. And it's ex exactly what I wanted to say. Um, uh, it's fantastic because even though some people might be confused by it or go away thinking, well, I thought I was going to see a kind of nice, funny comedy like uh, like your first film ned yeah um but where there is an audience that they see it and they get it and it, it feels like a complete piece and it's targeted and it's not trying to please everyone no no you know i think we need more of those films nowadays to I, be honest. I, I totally agree and, and i yeah i'm not i'm not interested in films that try to please everyone mm. Just, it, from what, watching those types of movies I'm, I'm not interested in them because it's it's hard it's like basically impossible mm. to make something that that pleases everyone you know yeah. the, the way they talk about four quadrant movies and, <laughs> and things like that it's like no yeah. i'm more interested in something that's that's a little bit different and a little bit mm. has something to say i need i need to have, see entertainment that actually has something to say now that very particularly since having a kid that that's kind of altered i feel like i've got less time to watch stuff because i do have less time to watch stuff so i need to feel like i'm being nourished you know mm. As well as, it doesn't mean I, I don't want to switch off and enjoy something, but I, but I also need it to be about something. And yeah, I, I'm more attracted to movies that are maybe not, um, yeah, that just find different ways of telling story that, that maybe I haven't experienced before. Cool. Well, that brings us nicely onto your latest film, yeah. Little Monsters. And um, I'd be curious as to know, obviously this one, people might see it on paper. They see zombies, they see kids involved. Um, they might think, well, this is going to be a tonal kind of disaster, but mm. it actually, <laughs> you, you really pull it off. In For six of months of the edit, it was a tonal disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it comes out being a very kind of, dare I say, wholesome, yeah. um, heartwarming film, um, which is obviously for people who are watching you, your last, your last film, they may not have expected, but again, it's sort of, you're doing the, the unexpected with that. Lieutenant, sir, why are we here? It's zombies again. Fast ones or slow ones, sir? Slow. Thank God they're slow. Next stop, Pleasant Valley. having a super fun time on our trip. I want you all in the line in front of me and away we go. Why are we stopping? There must be something in the way. What is it, Miss Caroline? Until I get back. If you're happy and you know, up your hands. Fire! 
kind of behavior is unacceptable. Max started Max it. Max is five years old. And if you can't use appropriate language with a five-year-old, I'm going to have to ask you to disinfect the tractor tree and wait for his back at the class. How do you like it, huh? Oh, God, what have I done? Ooh, what's that? Oh, I got caught in the middle of a jam fight. Don't taste it, okay? So how did that come about, Little Monsters? And with the development process, how did you... What was your first step towards making it? I was writing something else at the time. This was when Down Under had just been released. I was writing something totally different. It was like a kind of black comedy drama set in the outback. Um and I was struggling with it. It really wasn't working. I done. I was just finishing the second draft, beating my head against the wall. And then I went on a school excursion with my then five-year-old son in and his kindergarten class and his kindergarten teacher. So twenty-five five-year-olds and uh, his teacher. We went to this petting zoo, and we were. It was just a random moment on this school excursion where we were driving on this tractor train. This woman got off the tractor train to investigate something. And an idea just popped into my head, which was like, what if that was a zombie? And and it wasn't like – and I don't know why it popped into my head, but it was like – As it, you do. Yeah. <laughs> and then it extrapolated into, well, how would you protect 25 five-year-olds from being eaten by zombies? But then it's like, oh, but it's not just that, is it? You also have to stop them from being corrupted by all the hor- horrible stuff that they're going to be exposed to. And I remember thinking, well, if there was a zombie apocalypse and my son was caught in the middle of it, I'd be actually really happy with his kindergarten teacher that I would trust that she would be able to look after him. And that's because my son was born with uh, some health conditions. Some some of them are he's got multiple really scary life-threatening food allergies. And he'd never been out of my care until he went to kindy. And it was te- it was terrifying for me sending him to, to kindergarten. And he just lucked out with the most amazing teacher who mm. really allayed my fears of, you know, his health concerns that she had to look out for. But also I saw her open his him up to the world for the first time, the world outside of me. Um, so suddenly there was someone else that was really influencing the way um, he perceives everything, the, you know, and- so it was a, it was one of those moments where it was like um, I really appreciated what kindergarten teachers teachers I knew what teachers do for us but kindergarten teachers specifically I don't think I'd ever really considered that. So then this idea about the zombie blah 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 and everything it just it just opened the floodgates. So if I called up my producer at the time who did Down Under with me and I said, um, "What do you think about this as an idea?" Because she she'd read this these drafts of this other thing I was writing, and she was like, "Oh, no, I think that's really good." Mm. And then within three weeks, I had a really rough, really rough first draft. Like it just poured out of me because what was happening was I was able to put everything my son had taught me um, at that point in our lives into the movie. And the movie is obviously, you know, about kindergarten teachers, but it is a love letter very personally to my son. And and it's um, so the characters were all created around those things that I knew I wanted to say, which he had taught me. Um but it's literally a, a treasure trove of references, very personal references, very specific and per- personal references to to my son, which he won't be because he, he can't watch the movie until he's uh, <laughs> older than he is. He sees he sees some you know he sees movies. He's eight now, and you know we just watched um, uh, Fury Road the other day. Oh wow! <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I watched the movie beforehand to just really check, and he yeah. knows about movies and understands what's real and fake because he's been on movie sets before. He plays yeah. a zombie in the in Little Monsters. <laughs> um, uh, and we watched Aliens recently as well, which he loved. Oh, so I know there's so nice, many people uh, that that feel like you shouldn't be showing kids this, but he's he's totally equipped and loves like you know. Um, and a good reminder for me of the power of just great storytelling, like yeah. and how, um. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm going to digress for a second, but that's my problem with with cinema now is like I, I need to go back and rewatch the kinds of movies that were generationally we were watching when we were kind of growing up, you know, the James Cameron movies and George Miller movies. Um, uh, yeah, so it just – it was very personal. The long, long-winded way of saying it was a, it's a very, very super personal movie for me, this one. And, and as a result of that, I was able to communicate what this movie – meant to me what it's about what i wanted this movie to say uh 
to everyone that came on board and that really was something the, that got people excited and, and want to come on the journey of making it with me. It's really amazing. I had no idea about the, the personal connection. Um, I appreciated the uh, Aliens reference towards the end with the uh, Mr. Frog character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frogsy, yes. Uh, Frogsy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was nice for those in the know. <laughs> First of all, I'm curious as to how you get something like this funded because you know, you're showing it to people, you're saying it's a zombie movie, but half of the main cast are kids yep. or more than, you know, pretty much yeah. all the main cast yeah, yeah. group are kids. Yep. Five-year-olds. Um, and, but we want, we want to go hard on the gore mm. and the language mm -hmm. and the characterizations of some of the people. We all know that in zombie movies, some of the, the scariest thing is how the people themselves turn into monsters. Yes. And of course, obviously that happens with Josh Gad's character. Oh yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you sell this kind of movie? Well, that for me is what the movie is about. It's about the, the way a child sees the world and the way that we can see the world. And, um, and the best of human behavior, which is shown through Miss Caroline and her kindergarten class um, and Dave's sister, Sarah, too. Uh, sorry, Tess. Um, and then the worst of, human, worst of human behavior, which, you know, Josh Gad's character represents, but also the character of Dave represents at the beginning. Teddy too. McGiggles. Teddy McGiggle. <laughs> and he's like, so he is the, it was really important for me that this movie didn't exist without those two extremes. And I knew I wanted- Five-year-old kids in the movie, they had to be five years old because there's just – you can't fake what a, the way a five-year-old acts and interacts with the world and the way they perceive the world. But I was also like, yeah, but if we're going to – if we're, if we're really going to push that and, and make it work with five-year-olds, which is not easy, we then need to go as far as we can with the, the really horrible behavior that the adults do as well too because that mm. for me was always the point. One doesn't exist without the other. So – so for me, it was great because it, there was an excuse to, to to be extreme with with the comedy and the language and the gore, because I always ha was able to ground then the the heart of the movie and what this movie said with Miss Caroline and, and the kids. But in terms of financing it, there was certain that was something that I was able to really talk through and um, in detail about. One of these things doesn't exist without the other. They we need them both for, uh, for it to work. But we were really lucky. My producer, Jody uh, Madison, uh, who did Down Under with me, we had a difficult release with with Down Under, um, but we had a great res uh, screening at Fantastic Fest over in Austin. Mm. Um, and as a result of that, um, uh, we met our some of our producing partners on on Little Monsters who just saw Down Under and loved Down Under. And when we met with them, which was just a sort of general meeting of like, you know, we, they, we love this movie and we'd love to, to do something with you. Do you have anything? That's when I put the little monster script down in front of them. And then they were kind of on board the next day and we were, we were off and we, you know, we raised a certain amount of private money, but then we got the rest through um, government uh, from Screen Australia in Australia who, who had financed uh, Down Under uh, and also tax breaks and incentives and things like that. So we were able to take um, – sort of a $2 million, $2 million of private money and, and turn that into as much as we needed to make the movie. Mm. And for those who don't know, Fantastic Fest, obviously an amazing festival of eclectic kind of it's, horror. It's the best. Some sci-fi stuff, you know. Um, so it almost actually, you, you saying that, it makes perfect sense now that it's almost like a film that was born for Fantastic Fest. Or one of these yeah, festivals. and I really wish Little Monsters could have shown there too. We It, it missed it just for, because of some, some other just festivals. The yeah. Yeah. Um, but that and look, you know, I've, I've, this has been a great year for me to, to go and experience festivals around the world, and ones I always dreamed of attending. But um, I was totally uh, not expecting Fantastic Fest to be what it was. Like it was, I, I and Down Under was received so well there um, mm. that it really gave me the when you question because you did so many times, including now. Um, not specifically <laughs> right now, but like, but you question, why do you do this? Like, why do you put yourself through the hell of making something? Yeah. And Fantastic Fest was a, just a real, just reminder of like, oh no, this is why you do it. You do it to share it with people like this and to be mm. able to talk with people about it and, and the way those conversations lead to other things. And, and, you know, I've made some really great friends from Fantastic Fest. One, one in particular, this director called Chris Peckover, who had a film called Better Watch Out There, is just making his mm. next movie with, um, some of the producers of Little Monsters, actually. And, and just to make connections like that, where you realize, oh shit, there's other people out there that are in exactly the same position that I'm in. Mm. Fantastic. If you, even if you don't have a film playing Fantastic Fest, it's, it's so good to go to. Austin, obviously, is an amazing city, but it's like, and that's something that I have now really, I appreciate and I've noticed is, 
it's tricky coming to Sundance this year was incredible, could not have gone better. We had the, the you know, for all intents and purposes, the fairy tale experience there. But it was tiring and it was like, and there was so much pressure in, in wanting it to be received well. So you obviously, you just, you enjoy it as much as you can, but it's just more relief that it, that it didn't all sort of fuck up. Mm. The great thing about Fantastic Fest is you get creatively charged by that festival. Like the, they, they program amazing films there. I mean, I saw what I consider now to be my favorite film of all time, which is Raw, the French cannibal movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, which I that. And that, so it was having the experience of Fantastic Fest, seeing that movie there really gave me the inspiration and the creative drive to go, okay, I think I can do this again. Yeah, and that just kind of puts a testament to the, the importance of festivals and going yeah. out there and meeting other filmmakers and stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, like I said... Uh, one thing I love, what I, what I really love and what I notice that I, I don't get to do as much as I'd like to, and that's partly because I'm, you know, raising a, a son and trying to, like, fit work in around that. So, I have no social life, um, literally no <laughs> social life. I just really occasionally enjoy just meeting up with people. Either I know them or I don't, but but just to be able to have that common language of talking about movies and mm-hmm. talking about story. Yeah. Like, it's just I really feel like I come away from those conversations going, oh, cool, I just – I just kind of re- recharge part of my brain. Like yeah. it's really, really important because it's so easy to just become insular and forget yeah. that there are other people either going through the same stuff or who appreciate the same stuff that you do. Yeah, because sometimes you're surrounded by people that where that may not be the case. Oh, completely. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. As you know, lovely listeners, we give away promotions a lot of the time and we have sponsors and we are delighted to be sponsored by Shotlist app. And guess what? We have a special guest coming on to talk about it. You'll never guess who this is. You just, no, no, it's not Brandon Routh. No, no, it's not one of the Chris's. It is, in fact, the fantastic director, the fantastic screenwriter and filmmaker, Zach Lipovsky. Hello, mate. Hi, how's it going? I'm excited to be back. I I, I know, you've not been on for... I didn't mm, think it would be me, but luckily it was. (laughs) I'm quite surprised it's you. I was for a minute there. I thought someone else was going to say hello and have a look. No, no, it's not Zach. It's not yeah. Zach. And um, we're talking about we your fantastic get, we app. We should get Phil to uh, do one of these ads shortlist. next time because you know he's an avid we should. app user. Uh, Phil Hawkins, a uh, wonderful director who is Star Wars Origins trailer is out now. You can see that. Um, he, I reckon we should get him to do one of these. He uses Shotlister yeah. all the time and yeah. he promotes it as much as he can because you two were on a TV show together, <laughs> weren't right. you? We were contestants on a, it's a bit of a secret together. You were about making films. That's and right. what was it called? It was called On the Lot many years ago, way before Shotlister existed. But uh, um, yeah. And you can watch that now on YouTube, everyone. <laughs> Zach's like, oh, stop it. <laughs> but we do, yeah, moving on. And um, we do have copies of Shotlister to give away to you, lovely listeners. If you haven't got it already, you're crazy. You should get this. Um, but before we tell you how you can do that, we wanted to talk to you about a little story about what happened with Zach when he was shooting. And yeah. he was supposed to be shooting with a helicopter. Yeah, well, I was making my very first movie, um, which was a monster movie called Tasmanian Devils, about giant man-eating Tasmanian devils. And Amazing, uh, you can get that now, by the way. You can watch it, it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, and there's a big scene with a helicopter. It wasn't like a real helicopter. It was like one that dangles from a crane and stuff. And the whole day was about this mm-hmm. helicopter. And my whole shot list I had planned was about this helicopter. And uh, yeah, you know, the helicopter just didn't show up. The, uh, the truck the, just what? The, the, and so we're all standing around. What like, happened? Yeah. You, it just didn't show up. Yeah. Like, it didn't fly in. It didn't. It, right, brilliant. Well, Thanks. Like I said, it wasn't actually a real helicopter. Yeah, it was wasn't supposed to be real. on a truck, and the truck just like was stuck in traffic or something. I don't know. So then we had to yeah. figure out what what to do. You can't just stand around not doing anything. And luckily, with the app, um, it allows you to change your schedule with just the flick of a finger and move things around. And this uh, film had been enough of a disaster that every day I kind of planned for what to do in case there was a disaster. Because every day there seemed to be a disaster. So I started seeing the pattern. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so I very quickly brought a whole bunch of inserts that we needed to do on a different day up to the beginning of this day. Basically one of those montages where people are like getting dressed. Where you couldn't really see the background so it didn't really matter where it was. And so in the middle of this yeah. field, while we waited for the helicopter, we shot all these inserts because um, I asked the props guy, do you have all their clothes? Do you have all their props, all their gear? And he's like, yep. So for a few hours, we did all these cool inserts. And uh, eventually the helicopter showed up and and uh, we sh- you know still made our day and actually got a bunch of stuff that we had to do on another day done. Um, 
And that's kind of the secret of Shotlister is it's, you know, with paper, you can't really change it once you're on set. Um, you just have to scribble mm-hmm. all over it. Whereas with an app, you can, you can change the plan and send it around to everyone right away. So it, it saved my and, butt. And that's what's wonderful about that yeah. is that it's exactly that. If you've got paper, you can now can't, you've scribbled on it. What do you do? Take a photo of it and send that to everyone. With Shotlister, <laughs> you can now email that to everyone straight away and it updates their version as well. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Why would you not use that? Well, maybe you um, wouldn't use and it because giving, you don't want to pay for it. That might be one reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with the Filmmakers Podcast, you don't have to pay for it. That's right. Because we're giving... 50 copies a month away for free, ladies and gentlemen. And you can get your hands on one of those now. What yeah. do they have to do, Zach? Well, it's a really, really hard thing that they have to do. Um, it's you know very, <laughs> very complicated. Probably, probably, I don't think any of your users could even figure it, figure it out. Um, any of your listeners. Probably not. Um, they have to use this thing called email, uh, which is very oh, wow. new high tech thing. And they just have to <laughs> I think put I've heard in, of it. Uh, filmmakers podcast at shotlister.com. And send one of these emails um, mm. where basically they say if they want an Android copy, a Shotlister copy, or an iOS copy, and then we just send them a free copy. So if they can handle that, they can have a free version of Shotlister. There you go. Uh, you want a free copy of Shotlister? That's all you got to do, and you can have on links to this. Will be in the show notes. Uh, it's been a delight to have you on, Zach, talking about I Shotlister. It is a wonderful app. I, I do hope love one it. One day I can come on the podcast again. It'll be exciting. Get, I'm, I'm sure you will be. And if you haven't listened to Zach's episode, which is 107, where he talks about his filmmaking because he's a brilliant filmmaker, by the way. Freaks is out now everywhere. Is that correct? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Um, great. There you go. If you haven't seen Freaks yet, it's ace. Uh, so Zach is a filmmaker as well. So he understands filmmaking. So Shotlist is based around filmmakers making films. Uh, get the link. Get it. Buy it. Do it. And it's free. So you don't have to do any of those things. Just get it free. Um, brilliant. Zach, thank you very much. Links to all that is in the show notes, everyone. Zach, we might see you next week. We might not. It's a surprise. Maybe it'll it's be a Phil. secret. Maybe it'll be <laughs> Phil Hawkins, everyone. Till then, we're now going to get back to this week's podcast. Thanks, Zach. Bye. 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 I want to talk about casting. So what was the process with thinking about the kind of actors you wanted and then also trying to go after those actors and trying to get them? Um, So the first person uh, that I thought about when I was writing the script was Alexander England, uh, who plays Dave. Mm. And he's in Down Under and I've worked with him. I know him very well. I've worked with him a number of times before. He was was one of the few, if not the only person where I'm like, yeah, I think you can pull off the kind of the many facets this this character has. It's difficult sell, isn't it? Because he's very very unlikable at the beginning. Very unlikable. And yeah, yeah, he definitely, he has to show a lot of range in that role. Yeah. And it's a, and, and, and it's also, you know, he kind of has to become, also, it's he's an unlikely character. The journey that he go, goes on, it's unexpected where – it's expected by the genre, but it's sort of unexpected how he gets to, to where he ends up. You also need someone that can actually look good on camera and actually mm. sort of you know, like, like fill the role out physically. And, you know, so he ticked those boxes as well. But also, you know, I'd worked with him on Down Under and knew what a – like he's just a – He's a partner in crime when it comes to making something. He's one of the loveliest people in the world. Um, one of the nicest uh, people to spend time with, you know, but also surround people making a movie around too. And so I knew that he was going to be great with the kids. And I knew that, you know, when then you had a character like his character in the first half of the movie doing some horrible things, that the kids would still actually be okay with him because he's just such a lovely, lovely guy. Mm. But then the next person that came on board was um, – uh, Lapita Nyong'o, uh, who plays Miss Caroline, and that was a very unexpected at the time uh, because we were we'd started pre-production, so we're in like week one of pre-production, seven weeks pre-production. Uh, we had a meeting with our casting agent, US casting agent, and she said we had a list of people of names for for that role, and they were great names. Uh, the casting agent said. You'll get one of these people. Any one of them would be really good. But now's the time. You've got a couple of weeks up your sleeve. If you just want to take a completely unrealistic swing for the fences, who is your ultimate Miss Carolyn? And for me, that was Lapita. Um, all the producers, the five producers, they were all on this call together. Everyone was like, oh, my God, yeah, she'd be great. There's no way in hell 
Lupita Nyong'o is doing this movie. <laughs> um, but I happen to be at the same agency that she's at in, within LA. Oh, fantastic. Not with the same agent, but the same agency. So, that at least ensured that the script got put in front of her agent. Um, it just so happened timing-wise, she'd just finished shooting Black Panther. She was looking for something very different, completely sort of unexpected. She wanted to get into comedy. Mm. I think her agent put it in front of her and said, doesn't get more unexpected than this or different than this. Because she did a bit of comedy in Star Wars already. She? Yeah, yeah well, you know, exactly. Dipped her toe into that. But, yeah, yeah, she's great in that too. And, you know, you can really appreciate her her strength of timing in that mm. in that role, in any role that she does. But for me, it was like 12 Years a Slave is like a high watermark of filmmaking Absolutely, for me. Yeah. And Steve McQueen's one of my favorite filmmakers. And I just was captivated by her. I've seen that movie a lot, but I remember seeing it at the movies and just going, because I didn't know who she was, mm. just being blown away by her performance in that. So it's a very different role, obviously, to, to Miss Caroline. Absolutely, yeah. But I could tell through that and, and Star Wars, you was just like, well, this is she's the real deal. And similarly- and she's just been in Us as well with Jordan oh, yeah. Peele. She's incredible in that. Like, Another yeah. completely different role. Yeah. Well, yeah. she she needs to be challenged too. She is someone that wants to. She doesn't want to do the same thing. Mm. Like she she wants to. She's an actor that puts herself in out of her comfort zone in order to 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 reach the kind of incredible place that she she gets to with her performances. So I mean, God, I mean, you couldn't put yourself more out of your comfort zone with this this movie that we did together. Um, <laughs> But so she just connected to the script and she connected to some, some of the very truthful aspects of the story that, you know, were the reasons why I wanted to make the movie. So within 24 hours, it was like she's read the script. She really likes it. She wants to talk. So we had a, I had a Skype with her that night um, for two hours. And then the next day, I woke up to word that she was, she was in. So it, it, from wow. like not even five days, it was like we went from, oh, wouldn't that be amazing to fuck me? It's happened. That's fantastic. Um, and- and it was really, it was really important for me because I was able to go to all the crew. Hey, guess what? This is this has happened. Lapita's going to be in the movie, and this is exactly the type of movie that I had told them that I wanted to make. And now that had been endorsed by you know someone of her caliber, sort of seeing it the same way and taking it seriously. Mm. So everything else just kind of fell into place after after that. And Josh Gad, you know, was the other the key person that we cast a little later on. Um, and he was initially unavailable when we were doing name checks, but then, and we'd reached out to a few other people, but then we heard word from his team that, oh, he's, he's actually got an opening in his schedule now. Do you want to send him the script? And so we sent him the script and it was so, I'm so lucky that it happened in this way now. Cause I think of some of the other people that we would have cast in that role who were great comedic actors that I admire a lot. But Josh was the only person, literally the only person out there that plays the Teddy McGiggle before the monster part actually really like he's a real <laughs> kid show entertainer. Wow. So when he does switch into the monster, it's much more of a surprise because yeah, yeah. you don't see it coming because he is as part of Josh's um, uh, career, a very active part of, jo- uh, of Josh's career is Disney and Olaf and, you know. Um, and also you mentioned South Park. He's obviously famous well, for the Book of Mormon. And yeah. that's the thing though is he has that, Sub- very subversive, subversive edge to him as a performer and as a like he's got a brilliant com- comic mind, mm. but he can switch between both equally. And you know he's uh, he's f- absolutely hilarious. And um, but again, he he approaches everything from a truthful place as well. So the same way, Lapita, they get to it in in different ways. But what I love about his performance, apart from the extremities, you know, with what his character does, it's more about you can see. There's a broken, there's a broken clown behind the, all of the excessive behavior. <laughs> yeah, and you and, really pay, play into that in the film. Yeah, and so it's beautiful. It gives him a vulnerability, even though he's just. There's no reason why you should feel sorry for him. You at least understand why he is that way. There's there's several moments in the film where you see the sinister underbelly of his of his children's presenter persona come out when when kind of everything hits the fan, and uh, yeah. He he doesn't hold back very much. Oh no! And you <laughs> he's know, swigging bottles of antifreeze. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to try and um, and suggesting eating one of the kids. Yeah. They, yeah. But they but it's like there's another version of that character which is like um, Josh gave us everything we needed to, to to shape it into what it is. But he gave us way more than we put in there too. There was stuff wow. that we did a lot of test screenings with this movie, trying to get the balance right between mm. all of the tonal elements. Yeah, so I want to talk about that, especially because obviously this film has zombies in it. You don't shy away from the violence. There's a lot of gore and there's also a lot of kids in the cast. And 
you somehow kind of balance this tone where uh, you never it never feels wrong that like these things are happening at the same time. It just feels like here's a kindergarten class. Um, the kids are all really cute. They've been put in this situation. Oh God, I hope something doesn't happen to them. But at the same time, there's all this horror going on on the outside world. Like how, how do you go about balancing that tone, especially in the post-production? Yeah, not easily. I mean, if I'm being really honest, it, it was it was really, I mean, the shooting of it was one thing and that had its all of its own challenges. Uh, you know, no. Let's talk about the shooting first then. Yeah. So actually dealing with the child actors on set and that stuff. Was, yeah, that was the hardest. And we, that kind of, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get kids to be able to play characters. I was going to need to find kids that could kind of be themselves and that were right for this movie. So we did three months of like, we saw over 700 kids, five-year-old kids. Um, and we did these really intensive workshops with these groups of like 20, 30 kids. And eventually we did like these workshops would go for like three hours at a time. And that was more testing focus more than anything else. And you'd start to lose certain kids at certain points, which is really mm -hmm. frustrating because you think, oh my God, this kid's amazing. He's going to be great. And then hour one or 20 minutes in, you'd be like, oh no, he's got no, or she's got no attention span for what, what uh, we're doing. Right. But then the more times we did these workshops, then eventually kids that would maybe discounted to begin with started to come through. It was like, so, so that's, that the casting process was another thing entirely. Then when we had the, 11 five-year-olds cast in the movie uh we had to kind of train them in a couple of different ways we had to kind of let them know what is involved in making a movie but at the same so demystifying it but at the same time not to the point where they become jaded by it as well too um and that also involved getting them used to the zombies because there were going to be zombies that they were seeing on set as well too mm. so our makeup and effects team at one day did this workshop where they dressed up a zombie. Um, we actually brought the kids into their studio and the studio is amazing. They did the, they won the Oscar for Fury Road. So they're like, they've got this brilliant sort of uh, studio filled with all these toys and monsters and mm. things. But they filmed someone getting makeup put on them uh, with time-lapse because it's like a four-hour process getting the like, yeah. really scary makeup put on. So the kids sat in this room and they watched this actor, um, one of our zombies, sort of sit down and on the video, say, hey, kids, I'm going to get my makeup put on now. And then time lapse of you see all the layers going on. Mm. And then a door opened and the real zombie walks out. But he's still speaking with the friendly voice. So, they were like, oh, and they found it really exciting and fun. Um, uh, except for one girl who freaked out. And that was <laughs> that was meant to – that was what we were testing. We were going, okay, well, because we can't have any kids in during the shoot that are actually going to just be scared, even yeah. though they know it's fake. So we lost that girl and it was a real bummer because she was like amazing, this girl. So then Lapita, when Lapita arrived, she spent two weeks, we, she and I rehearsed together, but she also spent time learning what it was to be a kindergarten teacher, specifically within the Australian kindergarten system as well too. Mm. She also learned how to play the ukulele. Um, and <laughs> so when she arrived and met the kids that we'd now cast for the first time, we introduced her as Miss Carolyn. We didn't introduce her as Lapita Nyong'o. Uh, she was their teacher and still remember it vividly. Lapita walking into the room and meeting them for the first time, she was a kindergarten teacher. So they instantly felt that energy and just respected her as the teacher. Then it was about actually setting up the, setting up the shoot. We shot it in chronological order. There was a limit to how long we could have the kids on set. So it was four, five hours a day, four days a week mm -hmm. with breaks in between yeah. that. So we were engineering days around them and how we would get the best out of them. You would always get the best out of them from like 9 till 10 in the morning, that okay. hour specifically. <laughs> so it was about us being ready yeah. and getting them on set bang on time. And that's when I could get their, keep their focus just enough to get what I needed. Um, but the first day that we shot with all of them, we filmed in this bus. It was during the, the when the bus was broken down and they said, shake yeah, it off. yeah. And that was a bad day. That was a, and that was Lapita's <laughs> first day working with the kids too. And I can remember her walking on and just this chaos that that was in the bus right. too. And she's having to stand up in front of them, play a ukulele. Oh, it was like it was like thrown into the deep end. We also discovered that day that one of the kids that we had cast, we think, had been uh, maybe not diagnosed, but had ADHD. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, halfway through the shoot, we had to actually replace. Uh, one of the kids because we just went oh wow we're never not only is she not going to be able to make it through the movie she's bringing everyone else down around her so uh 
so we ended up getting the, the kid that freaked out with the zombie back because oh, her wow. mother had been actually sort of hounding production going and doing all her own makeup stuff at home, <laughs> making sure that this other girl was okay. So, we ended up we ended up getting this girl back who I loved and was amazing in the movie and really stands out in the movie. So, this is just stuff that you just can never plan for, like yeah. working with kids. This it's is a the, completely different process, isn't it? It's a totally different process. And you're process. not necessarily directing them in the same way or they're not necessarily acting in the same way that you would be performers. It's, it's more a sort of case of distraction. Exactly. And, 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 and holding and attention. And, yeah. We... Because we shot chronologically, we'd set out. They didn't know where the story was going. Mm. They knew that we were going to go to a farm. We knew that they were going to be in a kindergarten class and, and then go to a, go on a bus and go <laughs> on a farm. And one day there'll be a zombie and one day there'll be more zombies. And then we're going to be in a souvenir shop. And then Josh Gad's going to be there. Teddy McGiggle's going to be there, but he's not going to be the same Teddy McGiggle you saw before. <laughs> so every day, <clears throat> the only context context they had was... Oh, we're going to be on the bus today. Oh, cool. We get to go to the farm and pat the animals today. Oh, it's exciting. We're going to see a zombie today. So, it was like just giving them enough information to keep their reactions pure. Mm. Um, but then in terms of the edit, yeah, the tone of, of, of keeping everything like uh, working together was, yeah, it, it could not have been harder. It, it was the, the way I wanted to make this movie that felt familiar to an American audience, that was that was my goal. So there were certain conventions um, in terms of the look of the movie, but the construction of the story um, that I sort of followed, and then was able to break those rules. You can't break something unless you follow it in the first place. Absolutely. And a way of making that work was we did a lot of post-production in Los Angeles and did lots of screenings to American audiences to try and make sure that we were playing by the rules that they they'd come to expect with storytelling in gen- general but also genre, this type of genre so mm. so it was a really hard sort of process of just doing lots of screenings and just kind of like working it and reworking it and, and reading the room each time reading the room each time and knowing when to listen to them and also knowing when not to listen to them as well too but we had we finished it it culminated um, in Long Beach in uh, California uh, 2018 2000 and, yeah 2018 in September and we did a test screening there in front of 300 people that suburban uh, Americans that didn't know anything about the movie other than Lapita and Josh were in it and it was a zombie movie mm. um, and I was terrified before that screening but that was the one screening that went through the roof like it was like we've actually now brought everything together and they had no reason to get behind this movie mm-hmm. um uh but it was that was the moment that we went okay we're good now we can finish the movie and and also it was a really good moment for me too because i was like cool i'm not crazy it had it has worked with an audience anything could happen from this point we could have a similar experience with down under with people like it could just there's so many ways that a movie can slip through the cracks i, I know that mm. personally and you know i've had i have more experience of that than than the other so I was kind of emotionally ready for that, but but I also felt good because I was like, yeah, it works. I'm not crazy. It works for an audience. So and I had that shared experience with those 300 people that had no idea who I was. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's a film that everyone would enjoy. I was I was saying to my uh, my other half last night, that, like, yeah, you'd enjoy it as well. Like <laughs> I enjoy it because of the Romero Day of the Dead references, but um, you'd enjoy it as well because it's a great it's a great kind of fun comedy um, uh, about you know real people and characters and growing up and yeah, you know, yeah. all nice. of that and responsibility. So definitely check that out little monsters coming out where can people see the film um, um well it's going to be released in the uk a day and date release yeah, yeah uh november 15 yeah uh, in, right. in in the uk mm-hmm. i'm most excited about the uk release actually out of oh, right. out of all uh, awesome. releases i think it's going to go really well it's uh it's definitely got yeah you could definitely get into that sort of richard curtis almost audience whereas i feel like um it's definitely people who would appreciate it well uh, that's you know what that's yeah i mean that's it's a high compliment in terms of like richard curtis too because i mean talk about someone that knows how to construct a story for an audience yeah, that yeah. he is you know case in point and and, and you know he's a master class on how yeah. to do that um I mean, obviously, this is much more eclectic and uh, yeah. genre kind of effect. Yeah, but like, I think Richard. I'm Curtis- saying in terms of like you, you're there with like the the human stories as well, so yeah. you can get. I can see like there being a crossover, definitely, um, with you know different audiences coming in, like not just the genre audiences. Yeah. 
Notting Hill did, didn't have a scene where Hugh Grant bites a child's nose off. <laughs> yeah, uh, more's the pity. More's the pity. <laughs> Fantastic. And and where can people follow you, Abe? Uh, are you are you online? At yeah, all? look, I'm on Twitter, and I'm I'm not I'm not really active, but I do. Um, I mean, I just, you know I let people know when things are screening and things like that. Um, but I'm but I'm on Twitter at Abe Forsyth. Mm. Um, uh, I, you know, I use it for some more keeping track of sort of filmmakers and things that i'm interested in but mm. yeah that's kind of that's kind of it fantastic and you can follow the filmmakers podcast at filmmakers pod and you can follow me at robbie mccain if you're curious um so lastly some advice abe for some you know filmmakers maybe people who've uh, made a few shorts maybe they've made their first film and are looking mm. to like move on into the industry and, and get up and uh, get out there um uh, I think I may have touched on it before, but I just think you, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from the things that work. So just be prepared to fail uh, often and and not let that put you off and know that you ultimately failure is going to make you a better filmmaker than success and embrace that um, and just know that it's also a journey too and that if you – I mean, I can't really do anything else now at this point in my life um, – but also, and I, I still, I'm riddled with doubt and, and, uh, not sure about things constantly. But I, I also recognize that that's part of the process of finding the right way of doing something. Mm. So, so embrace your doubts, um, because they lead to you finding the right way of doing things. Fantastic. That sounds great. Abe, thank you so much for your time. Um, being prepared is everything. You can make your indie film, but know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share and subscribe to us on iTunes. And why not leave a review? Leave a review, yeah. Until then, we'll see you next Tuesday. Goodbye. Thanks, mate.